Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, today's podcast, we're going to be discussing uh, a number of market themes as well as uh, a few UK equities we've picked out for discussion. To do that, we're kindly joined by Alan Green, who I saw for the first time in probably over two years at the weekend at the Master Investor Show. So good to see you then, Alan, and, and welcome to the podcast this morning. Thanks, John. It was good to see you. Good to catch up. And it was it was just nice to get to the show and actually get to meet people again. I think um, that was a that was a sentiment shared by pretty well everyone I spoke to there on the day, and it was a bit, the attendance was was good. I think considering, and I think um, you know people there were really enthused by the markets and the opportunities there, and um, you know certainly standing on your stand, people were coming past and picking up the um, picking up the research notes that you you had there on the desk. So yeah, good day, good day was had by all. Indeed, and it was also very good to meet some of the listeners of the podcast as well who came along to the stand. We had a good chat, yes. bit of feedback there. Uh, so very good to to meet you all that uh, that came along on uh, on Saturday. And, and indeed, you know, looking at that event there, we, we've obviously been running a number of virtual events before the pandemic. We had a series of in person events, and you know, getting the views of people that attended, and, and obviously speaking to companies. I think there's a a real want now. Uh, for people to get in a room and, and really um, get a discussion going around um, some of the, the companies we're discussing on the podcast and obviously in the wider market as well. So keep uh, keep an eye out for those events because we're planning some in-person events, uh, probably based in uh, here in London uh, in the in the coming months. So do uh, do keep uh, an eye out for those. So, Alan, we are looking at markets today. FTSE 100 trading above 75 Hundred, we are now um, almost, if not already, back above the level we were before the beginning of the conflict in uh, Ukraine. So there's been a turnaround there in markets, and that seems to be um, pushing higher. Looking at what uh, the market has done today, and that is despite um, a record, well, you know, the biggest figure in 30 years. Um, from UK inflation, 6.2%, Alan. That's uh, an eye-watering number uh, for households. However, markets seem to be taking it in their stride. If you're looking at the FTSE 100, we're actually going to be delving into a couple of companies that we see as inflation winners. Um, They're companies that we feel will outperform the market during this period of high inflation due to uh, that their operations and uh, naturally the businesses that they are operating, um, they're either immune to some extent or benefit from uh, inflation. So we're going to go into those. But now, just looking at the, the top fallers today, um, you know, looking at the likes of Reckitt, Ben Kaiser, of course, a consumer uh, staples uh, provider, um, Kingfisher, owner of B&Q, they've, they've had... Uh, a worrying update to some extent recently. They're down again, of course, uh, impressions on household spending there will mean there won't be as much DIY um, spending. And we're looking at you know persimmon and some of the house builders down. So we are seeing weakness out there uh, in some of these stocks that are related to the health of uh, UK household finances. 
I mean, is this, you know, the move that we're seeing in these stocks that are, are weakening today, is this something that you feel could persist going forward? Or is it a bit of a knee-jerk reaction in these stocks? We've got a high inflation data. We need to look at these uh, particularly exposed companies and, and take a reaction today. A bit of a knee-jerk could bounce back. Or do you think this is a, a, a trend in some of these shares that could continue from here? John, I, th- I think uh, it is a knee-jerk reaction um, purely because... I think most people know, most economists know that the inflation is being driven, of course, by the the energy prices, um, high fuel prices, high energy prices, and it's coming from that direction only. And that's something that is feasible, could feasibly be dealt with if the war ends, if there's a if there's a successful resolution to that, if Putin is ousted and. Uh, a new um, a, a, a new administration is installed that wants to rebuild relationships with the West. Obviously, is a major uh, gas and energy supplier. Um, <clears throat> a lot of com- com- countries will want to, to to repair those bridges as quickly as possible. But um, but I think uh, certainly um, the re- reaction to uh, tightening up of the household purse, of course, uh, companies like Reckitt's, uh DIY, of course, uh, Kingfisher with their, with B and Q. That's understandable, but I don't. I, I if if the crisis is resolved in in the Ukraine, um, uh, then I think we will see inflation automatically return down to the levels that, that we'd seen previously. But certainly, as you say, there are winners and losers in this, and of course. Um, in the short term, you've got um, you've got uh, the price squeeze in the commodities sector um, because, of course, Russia is a huge supplier of commodities and battery metals and uh, um, uh, to to the to the global uh, 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 industries, um, and that's at a stroke being cut out of the market. So, of course, you have that price squeeze, and then, of course, banks and financials. Um, with the increase in interest rates from the Bank of England and, of course, the central banks around the world, um, that means that savers will receive more money on deposit and banks can, of course, earn more uh, from the cash that they have on deposit. So so those certainly are uh, going to be beneficiaries going forward. But um, to go back to the answer to your question again, I do think this is a short-term reaction and, uh, you know, canny investors will see through this and, and know where the inflationary pressures are coming from. Yes, yes, in, indeed. It, you know, with, with these inflationary uh, in, in environment, of course, you know the, the market will react to to what's happening there. But you know, of course, with these numbers, there has actually been some comments out from from several central bankers around the world that that we may have actually seen peak inflation with oil prices um, falling back. So these numbers are going to be very closely watched uh, going forward. So, Alan, now let's move on to the two companies uh, that we have as inflation winners that are set to outperform the market um, during a period of high inflation. The first of which is Metro Bank. And this is very much down to the possibility. And already we've seen increases in interest rates. That's going to improve, uh, improve their net interest margins. They have updated recently, Alan. So, what's the outlook like? Look like for them. Well, of course, as a challenger bank, Metro Metro really have bucked the trend in many ways, and of course, they are they're, they're persevering with the as well as, of course, a very good online service. They're persevering with their strategy of um, 
of maintaining a high street um, high, high street bank, so you can actually walk in and speak to somebody. And I think this is, you know, what we're seeing around the country. We're seeing branches shut. I mean, here in Seaford in East Sussex, um, Lloyd's Bank uh, I saw the other day has just closed down. And I mean, I, I don't bank with Lloyd's, but um, it came as a bit of a shock because uh, you know I, I used to bank with Lloyd's, and um, and uh, years ago I had my account there, so it was a it came as a bit of a shock really. But this is what we're seeing across the country. Of course, the branches are closing down, but Metro's embarked on on a course of action, and it's seeing uh, certainly the um, the t- the turnaround plan is is progressing well. That um, underlying revenues uh, uh, grew by seventeen percent to just under four hundred million for the for the twelve months ending December. Um, costs, uh, of course, um, at, um, uh, uh, were, were sort of uh, operating costs were reduced by one percent over that period, um, and also the underlying loss before tax narrowed too. So it's steadily moving towards profitability, which, of course, um, you know, has always been a, a, a key factor for the company. And I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, um, pundits in the market look at Metro and, uh, you know, that they'll that they'll start to take the bank seriously once it moves towards profit. But certainly it's made a significant strides in that uh, in that area to 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 get towards uh, to get towards uh, towards break even. And Chief Executive Daniel Frumkin said two years into the turnaround, the strategy is delivering meaningful results, moving towards profitability. Um, and of course, with the increase in interest rates, um, that will help to accelerate that process further still. And um, he said, you know, we're not going to change anything. We're, there's still more to do, but we're going to, uh, we remain committed to delivering on the strategy we set out and um, and pushing forward. And that's a really confident sign, I think, to the market that, um, you know, the, what, what uh, the bank set out to do is working. And, um, you know, the, certainly the share price, um, since the uh, it, it's trading currently at um, at 80, 88p, um, and that's from a year high of 147p, and from from a year low of um, a year low of seventy one p. So um, so it's just off its, its year lows. Um, the bank obviously isn't paying a dividend yet, but um, but uh, it will it will it is moving towards uh, um, uh, as I said break even. And I think at that point, uh, you know, maybe we can expect to see the bank start, or possibly the bank will launch a a maiden dividend, uh, which of course would be a a real line in the sand for for all the doubters out there. So, I just want to make uh, a quick comparison now and, and get your views on on what you think this uh, this could mean. So, we spoke about Barclays last week, and of course, they've got uh, quite a substantial investment banking operation there, which uh, make, makes them stand out to some extent, or has made them stand out from some of the other FTSE one hundred uh, UK banks like Lloyd's. And that West. I mean, in the environment that we are in at the moment, I mean, if we make a comparison between Metro Bank and Barclays, of course, Metro Bank does not have those investment banking uh, revenues. So, I mean, is, could that be a benefit for Metro Bank, given if we start to see incre- uh, interest rates increase? That's going to help their net interest margins, whereas a bank like Barclays relies on, on deal making. And as we start to see financial conditions tighten through higher interest rates, reduction of uh, monetary policy, there may not be as much M&A going through um, the markets. We may, we may see uh, a, a knock on finan- financial markets. So 
would that provide a benefit? Do you feel to to, ben, to to Metro Bank? Are they still really missing out on some of that? You know, those, those high revenues that uh, banks like Barclays can uh, can bring in. Well, yeah, I think they are they are at the moment certainly because the uh, the the primary objective, of course, is to get to break even, um, and that's that's based on the strategy the banks currently currently engage with, but. Um, even if even if there is a, fight, a, t- a tightening the uh, in in the marketplace, um, I think but the, uh, the the investment team at Barclays are pretty skilled in what they do, and they will find a way to deliver a, a return and and and, uh, and and you know ensure that um, that part of the that part of the uh, the business uh, continues to drive profitability. Um, Metro are very much. Are, are very much embarked on a different course of action, and they are. I think there's a, there is an opportunity because I think a lot of people do uh, are upset by the fact that banks are closing down their local branches. But um, Metro's strategy is based around that, and I think um, I, I think uh, you know with the with the higher interest rates, as you as you said, you know the the, the net interest on uh, the, the net interest uh, on margin for the banks will improve. It'll improve for Metro Bank too, and. Um, I think uh, once they get to break even, of course, and they're generating generating profits, then of course they can look at other avenues, and perhaps they can develop their own uh, investment team along the lines of of Barclays, and perhaps uh, you know start building a mini Barclays model. Yes, yes, we'll be interested to see how that how that pans out. Mm. So, Alan, now let's look at our second stock we have down as an inflation winner. Now, of course. During periods of inflation, people look to commodities and you know, looking at what's been happening, you know, not only in energy markets, but also to the price of metals uh, over the past year. It would only be right that we include a miner within one of these selections. And the one that you picked out today, Alan, is Rio Tinto, recently paid out a bumper dividend. Uh, but what else do you, do you feel justifies including uh, Rio Tinto as a pick for an inflation winner. Well, I, I think John, as we've said on many occasions in previous podcasts, and as we uh, alluded to earlier, um, the, uh, the the price squeeze in commodities is playing right into um, the hands of the mining companies, and of course, the, the mining giants like Rio, and of course, like BHP Billiton as well, um, are engaged with uh, uh, projects which are producing. They're, they're, they're producing. Um, iron ore, copper, um, uh, and a raft of commodities from their existing resources. Plus, there's exploration work. And, of course, that's where, you know, Rio might work with a smaller company, um, uh, as it did. Uh, of course, it has the Winu um, asset in the copper asset in the in, in uh, Western Australia. And, of course, that's where um, uh, Greatland Gold have the Haveran asset um, and uh, partner with Newcrest. And, of course, that's how Rio works as well. It partners with bigger companies, comes in, um, has all the resources, um, economies of scale that go with it, and they can invest into these projects. So so, so the company, of course, last year delivered, um, you know, a, a stellar results. Um, uh, EBITDA rose 58% to $37.7 billion dollars. On revenues of sixty-three and a half billion dollars, so the, you know this is a gargantuan company, um, and it's um, it's Rio said the result was driven by record prices for iron ore, copper, and aluminium, and it's maintained uh, guidance going forward for two thousand twenty-two. It's looking at the long-term pricing outlook for aluminium, copper. Um, you know these these metals, as we know and we've discussed many times, they're critical to 
a low carbon future. They're powering the powering uh, clean technology. They're powering the EV industry. Uh, you know, all the way through. They're they're they're, um, they're sort of important at every level. Um, and um, uh, Rio did say the out, the outlook for iron ore pricing is less certain, and it depends on the development of low emission steel technology. But certainly, um, I was interested to note the other day um, on Monday, in fact, uh, Cadence Minerals. Uh, updated on uh, on the Amapa iron ore mine it's uh, it's recommissioning in Brazil and they've they've hired um uh, Wardell Armstrong to undertake the pre feasibility study um and it's based on a high 65% uh, uh, iron ore concentrate um uh, generate uh, or uh, produced using renewable energy so of course this is key now for the big mining companies going for that they use renewable energy and um, and uh, obviously move their own goals towards uh, net zero um, and, and Rio certainly certainly um, in the market for that but regardless uh, you know the numbers are soaring all the time you know underlying earnings uh, soared by seventy two percent to twenty one half billion dollars um, and of course it paid uh, it paid out that uh, record breaking. Ten dollars forty cents per share um, for for shareholders, and uh, I will declare I'm a shareholder in Rio. Have been for years, and um, and it's a it's an evergreen stock in that regard. So so certainly um, you know the future uh, you know in regard to this commodity super cycle that we're all talking about, it's very current. It's um, it, it's a long sustainable super cycle um, because we're in this transition phase and the transition phase is going to take another 10 or 15 years. So I think during that time, um, all mining companies in the sector, you know, if, if they're, if they're, if the, if the model is right, um, they will be able to continue to make huge profits. And of course, Rio and for, for that matter, uh, BHP Billiton are right at the forefront of that. Yes. Yes. Of course, you know, focused on very much on base metals, but you know, looking through recent releases from Rio Tinto, that they're making the right sounds in terms of you know looking for opportunities in uh, in battery metals such as as lithium. That they've hit a bit of a hurdle uh, in their Serbia mine with the, the Serbian government uh, cancelling their uh, their license there. I think in retaliation uh, for uh, something to do with with tennis. So that uh, more, more yeah. little than anything. Yeah. 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 So. You know, it shows where they want to go and it shows how they want to change their their, their business model. So a very strong um, base in uh, their current portfolio of, of metals, but but looking to, to shift that towards ones that are going to be supplying um, some of the, the highest demand products going forward, which is likely to be um, EVs and, uh, and and the batteries that, that power them. So... Um, Alan, now let's move on to the last company we're going to discuss today. One that we haven't mentioned, Alan, actually on the uh, on the podcast for some time. We, we you know, regular listeners will know that we've had differing views on this uh, on this company over over the years. Um, but it's Bidstack. Um, just looking through their their list of updates, there seems to be a lot happening there. We we saw a nice rise in the share price yesterday. I remember. Um, so, what's uh, the latest update from them? Well, the uh, Bidstack, of course, um, has spent uh, many years developing this proprietary in-game technology. Of course, the the gaming industry uh, is vast and it's uh, growing at a rate of knots. It's the reckon the global uh, market value will be worth some two hundred and sixty billion dollars by two thousand twenty-five. Um, 
you know, three and a half to four billion gamers worldwide and people are engaged in games. And of course, when you're engaged in the game, uh, you know, if you're playing football online or if you're playing motorsports, um, the all of the little ad banners that uh, you see on the hoardings on the side of the pitch or in, on the bridges and the hoardings on the arm on the side of the road, um, all of those can be addressed uh, by the BidStack proprietary technology. They spent many years developing the technology. Uh, it was tested um, t- tested uh, uh, extensively. Um, several independent surveys uh, um, assessed and verified the the uh, return on investment uh, criteria, which of course is so important, the, the, the measurability of the and the efficacy of the platform, and it's passed all those tests. And um, certainly, they've over the past few years they've they've uh, um, that they they have uh, uh, put together an advisory board which reads like a who's who of the gaming industry. James Draper still at the uh, still at the helm, um, and uh, really. I think if you look at the chart, you'll see that there was a big turnaround in December last year. Um, Bidstack announced it had basically secured um, a leading a, 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 a contract with a leading uh, gaming provider, and this is uh, uh, tri- the, the, one of the world's leading AAA gaming companies. Um, exclusivity across its sporting franchises, um, and uh, also um, you know several million dollars of advertising spend uh, um, uh, over two years commencing March uh, March 2022. So um, uh, since the uh, results were announced, the company has signed a number of other contracts uh, and uh, gaming partnerships uh, with GameTap Studios, uh, Goodville, Group M, Zaxis, um, and uh, and also, uh, you know, last year, um, uh, and the company announced a two-year commercials deal with Azerian. So all of the major gaming companies are coming to Bidstack to use the technology. And of course, um, you know, Bidstack is very much first to market with this. Um, and it's uh, it's now established really with the major gaming houses and, and the, the AAA games publisher, which uh, was the deal the company was trying to do really for two years. So that I remember on the day that moved the share price. I think the share price literally doubled in value, sort of in about twenty minutes. Um, and since then, you know, it's it's ticked over, um, but it's now sort of pushing back up to those highs over four, uh, uh, over sort of four four and a half p. Um, and we could well see uh, the the, uh, the shares, you know, move back to those year year, year highs in, in the coming months. Um, another significant development as well: the company signed a a chief technology officer called Glenn Ames and Glenn has got a, uh, a very impressive CV. He worked previously for Nortel, Yahoo, AOL and AT&T and he's got a huge experience in the gaming industry worldwide and uh, he's now sort of heading up with the other with the other team uh, or, or with the rest of the team. He's heading up the uh, the development and the and and uh, furthering the uh, furthering the bid stack cause. And um, certainly revenue wise uh, they, they are making progress. One of the big Bugbears, I think, with um, with uh, 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 a lot of the investors in the company was that it, the company wasn't hitting its target. Well, it is now starting to hit those targets. Um, uh, the it, it says that the um, revenues of the full year 21, 2021 will still be below expectations, but higher than last year. Last year it generated 1.7 million. Um, and also the company said that year-end cash expected to be in line with market expectations at approximately seven million. So the company's still got plenty of money in the bank. And of course, the one of the 
one of the perennial things that comes up with Bistack is, oh, it's going to have to raise more money. It's going to, going to have to raise more money. Um, I sense the progress the company's making with the agencies. We will see um, the company be able to uh, fund its own development before too long. And of course, that's a sea change. The company's currently worth um, 39 million uh, trading at the current levels. Um, and I think, you know, we both know if the company were listed on NASDAQ, it would probably have a, have a valuation well in excess of, of 100 million, you know, as you would expect with a company with a sort of, this sort of technology. But certainly, Bitsack is at a very exciting juncture in its uh, evolution. And uh, I think it's going to be a big year for the company. So I've taken a good look at uh, Bitsack over the, over the past few months. And one of the things, look at the competitors out there that struck me with this uh, company, and, and and you alluded to it there, is they seem to have come to the market very, very quickly um, in terms of having an IPO. And that has meant to fund their development, they've had to consistently come back to the market, you know, with, with placings to raise further cash, which of course uh, diluted some of the existing uh, investors, which is of, of course something that happens. But when, when I look at their competitors, a lot of their their competitors out there have remained private companies. They've gone down uh, the venture capital route uh, in terms of raising raising finance. I mean, that means that you know a lot of the information of what's actually happening in that company remains private. Of course, so it's very difficult to make comparisons about the operations of both of the two big players um, in the market. I mean, is that an issue, and and is that the, you know, one of the reasons why we see a market cap of forty million, as opposed to maybe a hundred million or, or four hundred million? That you know, Bidstack came to the market too early, yeah. and they've had yeah. to continually raise money, which has meant uh, you know during a period where they weren't generating any revenue, and they were you know very much in a period of, of development, um, they faced you know quite intense investor scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that has been a major problem for the company, uh, John, and uh, the, the fact they've had to raise money and also the fact that they've missed targets as well has really riled investors. But the, the company does have a huge amount of support and probably in retrospect, you know, if you ask the team again, they would maybe delay the IPO for another couple of years and, um, and you know, that they'd be you know, with the deal they announced uh, last December, that would be a great deal to come to market with because, of course, uh, the company would all, all, already be well on its way. But but I think, you know, what you can't ignore with Bidstack is is the fact that um, it's working with a lot of the, the uh, as I said, the advisory board reads like a who's who of the gaming industry. And um, and and I think it's it's certainly the leading, the leading, uh, uh, um, company in the, in this field i know there are private competitors as you as you've rightly pointed out john but um i think because of the because of the uh technology it's now developed and also because it's now a listed company i think there's there's always the there's always the m a um angle as well and uh, you know a, a big games publisher or gaming company could see could look at bit second and see well i can i can see how we can integrate this into our our, our operation of course you know that's when you are talking the they're talking megabucks, but um, um, certainly, certainly where it is now, I think Bidstack is very much uh, on the launch pad for further success this year, and we're seeing a lot of deal deal flow coming into. You know, the past few months, I, I mentioned those those three deals that, that uh, have come in, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, probably 
in retrospect, um, you know, I, I invested in bid stack too early, but I'm still a holder and uh, I'm, I'm sort of ahead because I bought it lower down and I do see a great future for the company going from here on. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we I think we can agree on, Alan, is, you know, the personal interest in mine is, is ad tech and, you know, I have a lot of friends that work within the industry. I think, you know, the native in-game uh, market is huge. I think the question remains uh, whether bid stack are able to harness that... Uh, you know, that opportunity and, and really cement themselves uh, within that market, given that, you know, over the last few years, there's been a number of new players that have come in um, and are obviously, t- you know, offering slightly different solutions within the same space. So a particularly uh, interesting environment and one that uh, I'm sure we're both going to be watching very closely over the coming year. So just as a recap uh, for listeners of the equities we discussed today, uh, first of all, was Metro Bank, which has a ticker of MTRO. It was then Rio Tinto, with of course a ticker of RIO Rio, and just then was Bidstack, which has a ticker of BIDS. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks very much, John. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I did mention that we're going to be doing a number of live events, so do check out. Uh, the events section for upcoming details of that. But we do have a particularly interesting virtual event coming up in the next couple of weeks with Vietnam holding the investment trust. It was one of the top three performing investment trusts listed here in London in 2021. Uh, We're going to have a few members from the team that are going to be giving some insights on the Vietnamese economy and where they see opportunities for their investment trust going forward for the rest of this year. So do check that out and get yourself registered and hopefully see you there. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.